0: just have a word of prayer for you, brother father we come to you this evening with I believe hearts that are wanting to grow and Lord you often use our brothers to help us in this father it is uncomfortable at times but Lord we are committed to following you To grow even as we, Mm -hmm. as you use iron to sharpen iron, Mm -hmm. Father. So, Lord, may we give ourselves to this Mm -hmm. and may we do it with joy, Father. Mm -hmm. Bless Mm -hmm. our brother now as he brings your word to Mm -hmm. us, anoint him. Mm -hmm. And, Father, I pray for us that our hearts would say yes Mm -hmm. to your word Mm -hmm. and that we could walk in obedience, Father. We thank you, and we look forward to what you
1: have for us tonight. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> again, I want to say greetings in the name of Jesus tonight, the, the one who died for us, the one who's risen again, the one in whom we have hope, that blessed hope of life eternal. And so it's in Jesus' name that we gather. It's in in Jesus purposes and in his cause that we have our interest focused tonight on the word of God. I want to invite you to turn with me to that 16th verse of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to just spend a little time here at the onset tonight as as we try to speak about brotherhood accountability. Brotherhood accountability. This verse in Ephesians 4 reads like this, From whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. When I look at that verse this evening, I recognize, first of all, that we find there overtones of brotherhood. I think that should be very, very obvious to us as we look at that. Early on in this verse, we find the word together. And as you trace Paul's writing to the Ephesians, as you think about the way he uses this word together, it's a very, very precious term. It's a very, very complete term as he traces the usage of this word through the book of Ephesians. In fact, of all of the New Testament epistles, only the book of the Acts and the book of First Corinthians use the word together more than what Paul does here in the book of Ephesians. But if you look at the way he uses it, he speaks about being gathered together. He speaks about being quickened together. He speaks of being raised together. He speaks of being seated together. He speaks about being framed together and builded together. And now he says that we are joined together. We have a very clear brotherhood focus as we look at that single solitary word together in this 16th verse of Ephesians 4 We certainly have The overtones of brotherhood Here in this passage The second point I'd like to make is That Christ is The great originator I know that we believe that He is the creator He is the great originator The book of the revelation And one of the last passages The last passage that Jesus ever spoke To the human family Upon earth in Scripture reads like this: "I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, verse 13 of Revelation chapter 22. The third point that I'd like to make concerning Ephesians 4 verse 16 is this one: He, the great originator, is working at fitting and compacting every one of us in this brotherhood that he speaks about. He fits. He compacts. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. He has set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. He's very, very interested. He's very, very meticulously working as he fits, as he compacts the members, every one of us in the body, and the Bible says it's as it pleaseth him. Point number four that I'd like to make. And that is that everyone in this brotherhood, everyone in the body of Christ, everyone in the church, everyone has a contribution to make. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are, how much experience you might have or how little experience, how rich the gifts you might have been given. Or how few gifts you think you might have been given. Every one of us in this brotherhood has something with which we can contribute. Your supply, he says. Your effectual working. He speaks about the every part. Every one of us has a contribution to make. It shouldn't cause us to become exalted. It shouldn't cause us to gloat in the contribution that we can make. But very humbly, very lowly, we ought to recognize that God can use us. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It's the human spirit with which the the fire from God descends and lights and inflames and brings glory to him. Everyone, (coughs) excuse me, everyone has a contribution to make. And the fifth point that I'd like to to just make as we look at this 16th verse of Ephesians chapter 4 is this one. And that is concerning the use of the word edifying. <clears throat> Under the edifying of itself in love. I don't know what you think about as you think about the use of that word edifying at the latter part of this 16th verse of Ephesians 4. But I want to say tonight, and I'm very, very confident of this, I want to say tonight that this is not speaking about intellectual contributions. This word edify is a Greek word that speaks of building. Always in the New Testament it speaks about building. And so as we think about the making of the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We want to understand that this is speaking about the building that's taking place. The building of the body in love. It's a word that that we should think of as erecting instead of enlightening. It's a word that we should think of the edifying of itself in love. We should think about something like an edifice. Edifying, edifice, the building. This verse is speaking about the building of the body in love. And so, the outline that I'd like to use tonight is a very, very simple outline. I want to be sure to present scriptural truth. But I want to give a practical impetus to each of us as we think about brotherhood accountability. <coughs> I would like to, to, to somehow instruct and inspire us and enable us that we might, we might partake in the outliving of this brotherhood accountability. The outline is this. I wish to speak about the doctrine of brotherhood accountability. I wish to speak about the desire for brotherhood accountability. And thirdly, I wish to speak about the determinator of brotherhood accountability. The doctrine of brotherhood accountability. Many, many years ago, when God stooped down and He began His creative acts of genius. The Bible says that on the sixth day of the creation, God made man. And as He viewed at this lump of clay, as He viewed at this dust that He had formed so meticulously, into which He had created Adam, and as he breathed into his body, the breath of life, and as man became a living soul, the Bible says that God looked at Adam, and God made a pronouncement. And the pronouncement that I'm interested in tonight, as God looked at Adam, is this one. It is not good that man should be alone. And so the Bible says that God created and helped meet for him. From that single verse in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we should understand tonight that man was made a social creature. Man wasn't created to be a lone wolf. Man wasn't created to be a solitary individual. Man was created a social creature. And as God did that, as God uh, then took from Adam a rib and formed woman, he created and helped meet for Him. And I'd like to just emphasize tonight that every one of us are here as helps meet for each other. We were created social creatures. We were not called to, go, to embrace individualism. We were not called to be solitary individuals. But we are called to be social creatures. To be linked together with brothers and sisters In Christ, man was created to be a social creature. There is continually in the New Testament, as the scripture speaks about the church, there is continually a collective emphasis. Think about terms that are used. Think about the fact that we're called to be branches. Think about the fact that we're called to be members. Think about the fact that we're called to be lively stones in this edifice, in this building in which God is building. And so tonight it ought to be very, very evident to us that we are called to be social creatures. Thank you. We are called to be social creatures. We are called to have a collective emphasis with each other a collective impact upon each other as we hear the voice of God and all of us are interested in that I believe we're interested in listening to the voice of God we want to hear what God says we want to hear how God speaks to us we ought to recognize that the voice of God comes to us in a variety of ways. One of the things that God has done for all of humanity is that that God has given to us something called the conscience. The conscience. The conscience is really, according to scripture, a universal witness of God. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1 verse 19. He says, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. That which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That Scripture tells us about two universal witnesses, actually, but I'm thinking especially about the conscience. That which may be known of God is manifest in them. God has implanted within every creature, every man, every woman... That comes into the world. Every boy. Every girl. Every baby. God has implanted within them. Something that we call the conscience. And it is a universal witness. Of the fact that God exists. He has created within us. A yearning for him. He has created within us. A hunger for him. Now the conscience. Is not a. Guide that we can use unilaterally. Because the Bible tells us that the conscience can be seared. The Bible tells us the conscience can be defiled. The Bible tells us that the conscience can become weak. And the Bible tells us that the conscience can become evil. But God has placed within us, every one of us, no one's excluded, no one's accepted from this. God has placed within us a conscience. And we ought to value that conscience. And we ought to take care of that conscience in a very meticulous way. Not allowing that conscience to be corrupted in any manner. But there are other methods by which we hear the voice of God. Perhaps even better methods. One of them is. His word. The scripture. God uses the bible. God uses his word. To instruct us. To teach us. To help us to understand who he is. And what his will is. For our lives. The word of God. Teaches us about him. The word of God Manifest his will for us. The word of God is a means by which you and I can hear his voice. The oracles of God. Very precious to us. The word of God. Hearing the voice of God. Another way that that God speaks to us is through his Holy Spirit. That spirit that indwells us. The spirit that inhabits every born-again child of God. Every brother, every sister. The spirit that bears testimony of Jesus Christ. That spirit that instructs us and equips us. That spirit that, that teaches us as Jesus prayed in John 16. That spirit that brings all things to our remembrance. The Holy Ghost, the indwelling spirit of God, enables us to hear the voice of God. Another way by which we hear the voice of God. And this is where I wanted to get to tonight as I think about the doctrine of brotherhood accountability. Another way by which we hear the voice of God is through the people of God. And we dare not discount the way that God speaks to us through his people. Every one of us. It doesn't matter how advanced we might be in the Christian walk, doesn't matter how long we've lived, it doesn't matter how, how closely we might have walked with him, every one of us is a fallible individual, I'm a fallible man, you're fallible men and women, we must recognize that. And the Bible has, and, the, and God has given to us something that's very, very dear to us. Something that we ought to cherish very highly. And that is that he's given to us brothers and sisters in Christ to speak into our lives that we might hear the voice of God through his people. The Bible says it this way. I know it's an Old Testament passage. It's a proverb. But it's oh so true. And we don't discount it because it's Old Testament. We don't discount it because it's, it's written long, long ago. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I confess tonight that I need my brothers and sisters... I need them to look at my life, to speak into my life, to tell me where I might be wavering a little bit, where I might need to have some sharp edges chiseled off, where I might need some refinement and some polishing as a lively stone in this building that God is erecting. We are fitly framed together. We're joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, unto the edifying of the body, unto the edifying of the body unto self and love. And so we have His Word. We have His Spirit. We have His people that enable us to hear the voice of God Even in addition to the conscience that he's given to us. The doctrine of brotherhood accountability. The New Testament teaches us that we really do have a burning need. And that need is that we need each other. We really do need each other. I have need of you and and you have need of others. And we all contribute in this body, but we have a need for each other. Paul says it this way, First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. He says, The body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, I am not the hand, therefore I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? And so we, being many members, are one body in Christ. We need each other. We need the contribution that each of us contribute in this body. We need the eye. We need the ear. We need the nose. We need the hand. We need the foot. We need every member in this body. The doctrine of brotherhood accountability is just woven throughout the New Testament. And it's a doctrine that we need to embrace, especially in the day and time in which we live, in the year 2014, and value it and cherish it. And hold it very close and very dear to our hearts. Let's think for a few moments tonight about the desire for brotherhood accountability. The desire for brotherhood accountability. It seems that there is an inner drive in all of humanity. For something that when it gets twisted and warped. And polluted by the enemy, we might think of in terms like this herd mentality, gang appeal. We might see it portrayed in things like team apparel. And there's many other ways that we see this. But I believe from from even these corrupted and polluted manners in which this is displayed we ought to recognize that there is a desire for brotherhood accountability that God has implanted, God has imparted into the heart of every individual. The desire for brotherhood accountability. Now it gets twisted and it gets warped true, but it's still there. There is a desire for a sense of belonging. I have that. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you'll say that you have that. And I believe that believers understand this. But even unbelievers, tonight in our midst, there is a drive, a desire for a sense of belonging. There's a desire for something called fellowship. Now fellowship is not necessarily a holy term. The Bible speaks about the fellowship of devils. But there is a desire for fellowship. And the way God created this desire, this drive, this desire will move us to a place that we desire fellowship with other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. A desire for fellowship. The Bible speaks about the fact that even nature teaches us the spiritual things. Now the Bible says that we're branches in the vine, and the branches are to bear grapes. And where are grapes found? Grapes are found in clusters. Grapes are found in clusters. Sheep are found in flocks. Bananas are found in bunches. Nature teaches us a lot of things about being fruitful in Christ, about being a building. In Christ. About being this body. Members one of another. The desire for fellowship. And the sense for belonging. It's an inner drive. That God has implanted. Into every individual. I want to just. Briefly. And very quickly if I can. Take you on a very quick. Dash through the first four chapters. Of the book of the Acts. And just think about the view of the early church and the desire for brotherhood accountability. First of all, I want to go to verse 4 of chapter 1. And I'm thinking about the togetherness that we find portrayed here in the apostolic church. Verse 4 says that when they were sem- assembled together, with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. And so we find this inner drive, we find this desire, this sense of belonging, this desire for fellowship portrayed very vividly in the fact that in the apostolic church, that the the early church desired to assemble together. And so it was when they were assembled together that Jesus came to them and he spoke to them. Because they were assembled together, two verses later, verse six, again it says they therefore were come together, and they asked him the question, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You can see from these two verses, early on in the book of the Acts, that the disciples of Jesus Christ loved to be together. They loved the fellowship of the saints. They wanted this sense of belonging. This contribution that everyone could make. This body. Everyone members one of another. Blessing each other. Another one in Acts chapter 1. In those days, verse 15, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. They were together. The disciples were together. And Peter was standing in their midst. And Peter says... The number of the names together being about 120 men and brethren. This scripture must be fulfilled. But what I want there was the fact that there were 120 of them that were come together. Even in the first 15 verses of the book of the Acts, we find three clear statements concerning the fact. That in the Apostolic Church the church came together, they assembled together, they were come together, they were being together, as the Bible says in Acts one fifteen. The names of the disciples were together. I move to verse two very chapter two very quickly. And the Bible says that in forty days from the day of Pentecost was come, that they were all with one accord in one place, all of them. With one accord in one place. Now we can be in one accord and not be together in one place. We could have been in one accord and stayed home this weekend. But there's something very, very precious about the fact that we've come together. That this room is nearly two-thirds full. That we are together in one place in one accord. It's a truth that we dare not neglect. And we dare not discount the blessing of being together. The desire for brotherhood accountability. Verse 44 of Acts chapter 2. Peter's actually, it's uh, after his second sermon on the day of Pentecost. Two of them here in Acts chapter 2. But the Bible says in verse 44 that, that all that believed were together. All that believed were. T- we're talking about thousands of people by this time. All that believed were together. This is the early church. Verse, verse 46 speaks, speaks about the fact that, that they continued daily with one accord in the temple. All that believed. Another verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John went up together. You don't don't find uh, individualism here in the early church, the apostolic church. Peter and John, they went together to the temple. Verse 11. As the lame man was healed and those individuals saw Peter and John, the Bible says all the people ran together. There's just something about being a disciple that you want to be together. And so they ran together, running together. One more verse. Acts chapter 4, a verse that was referenced this afternoon. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Now God could have chosen to shake lives. And he does sometimes. But this scripture verse tells us that when they were assembled together and when they prayed. And this wasn't a casual prayer. This wasn't a tepid prayer. This was a fervent prayer. This was a... a, 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 a uh, Floor-pounding prayer, perhaps. This was a, a prayer that was filled with tears falling to the floor. When they prayed together, the Bible says the place was shaken. And I believe this evening that too many times the reason we don't find our place shaken is because we haven't come together and prayed. That's my heart desire that the people of God would desire, would delight in coming together and praying, mingling their petitions, linking arms together, mingling their tears together, and sharing their cries and their inmost burdens and their heart's yearnings and their life's strivings, coming together and allow the place by the Spirit of God to be shaken when we assemble together in prayer. Amen. Assembled together, and the place was shaken, as they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. The desire for brotherhood accountability. Especially in this day of individualism, we need to understand the importance Of fostering a desire to become followers. We recognize that we're called to be disciples. We recognize that the New Testament speaks about discipleship in Christ. A disciple is simply a follower. We need to foster this and to nurture this and to and to speak about this the need to foster the desire to become followers, to embrace discipleship. I was pondering even the words of the Apostle Paul. And and I know that this ought to be addressed with caution and with care. But the Bible says that Paul says, and I'm just going to quote one verse, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, but Paul says, Be ye therefore followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul is inviting the Corinthian believers to be a disciple or to be disciples of him. And I don't don't take that scripture out of context, the larger context of New Testament scripture, because the Bible in the New Testament, in Paul's writings, uses that same expression a total of three times. Once earlier, In the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 4, verse 16. And a third time, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul, as a father, was speaking to those churches and those individuals. The Corinthians, the Philippians. And he was telling them to become followers of me. Now he conditioned that. Rightly and properly. He says, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. But he was inviting them to look at his life. To recognize that he was following Christ. And to just fall in step with him. And link arms with him. And become followers of him. As he walked the way to glory. As he pressed on into the kingdom. Being followers. Being disciples. The Bible speaks often in the New Testament. About something called brotherly love. Brotherly love. We're here this evening in the spirit of brotherly love. We come here as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reason we can say that is because we have the same father. The Bible speaks about him as Abba father. The Bible speaks about him as the father of lights. Book of James. With whom is no variableness. Neither shadow of turning. We have the same Father. And so we come here this weekend. We come here tonight. In the spirit of brotherly love. As we think about brotherly love. I want to just, just pause for a few moments. And just think about. What the New Testament has to say. About brotherly love. One of the things. That the New Testament says about brotherly love is that disciples of Jesus Christ are called to love. As we hear the call of Christ in our lives, as we hear the call to come and follow me, as we hear the call to take up the cross and to be yoked in his yoke, as we hear the call to follow Christ, we must recognize that it's also a call to love his sons and his daughters. And it's a call to brotherly love. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8. Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye might receive a blessing. Peter says in very clear terms that this brotherly love is a part of the calling to follow Jesus, it's the part of the calling to be a disciple, the call to brotherly love. We can't cast it aside. We cannot discard that. We are called to love as brethren. Called to embrace brotherly love. The desire for brotherhood accountability in part teaches us that we are called in this calling to brotherly love. The Bible says that brotherly love will result in giving honor. To each other. Not only is it a call, but it's also a privilege so that we might honor each other. Paul writing Romans chapter 12, verse 10, words like this Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. When we love each other, we will honor each other. And we will prefer each other. That's what Romans 12.10 says. It means that, that I'll invite my brother to go ahead. It, invites that I'll cons- it means that I'll, that I'll invite my brother to speak into my life and to give me counsel. And I will consider that counsel and cherish that counsel. In honor, preferring one another. That's what brotherly love does. Honor Love will honor others. Third statement. That is that brotherly love is not selective. Brotherly love is not selective. In 1 Peter 2 verse 17. We find a three word sentence. That is very very filled with meaning. And it's not the entire verse. But Peter says in that verse. He says love The brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Now, brotherly love is not selective. Brotherly love doesn't mean that we're going to choose one brother and love him, and another brother and discount his counsel or his testimony, and despise his teaching or his life. Peter says, Love the brotherhood. And that suffix hood is a, is a uh, suffix that we ought to understand to mean that it speaks about a state of being brothers. It speaks about fixedness, if that's a word. It speaks about being set in something. And so when we're a brotherhood, that means that we are set with other brothers and sisters. It means that we are fixed there. Established there. It means that we're in this state of being brothers. And we're to love that state. We're to cherish it. We're to love the brotherhood. And I've just lived long enough to realize... That... And yes, I have the same feet of clay that we all have. I suppose. But I've just lived long enough to realize... That individuals that I thought really didn't have much to contribute or that that really I didn't need to pay much attention to, there have been times that I have come to highly value their contribution. I've come to greatly cherish the words that they speak into my life. And I want us to all get a grasp on that reality. We are called to love the brotherhood, love this state, love this fixedness, love this place where God has set us, wherever it is. And I know that we might have varied definitions of brotherhood. In my faith heritage, brotherhood has always meant a collective cluster of churches. We're a part of a fellowship that consists of 32 churches. And when I think of brotherhood, I think about the, uh, first of all, I think about the, the national level or the, the entire scope of the fellowship of which I'm a part, brotherhood. But the condition of brotherhood also exists within the local congregation. And the condition of brotherhood also exists within a very small group. Within a local congregation even. Brotherhood is something that we ought to cherish. Brotherly love is something that we're called to embrace. Brotherly love teaches us that we're to honor others. Brotherly love is not selective. And one more statement that I want to make is that brotherly love is to be perpetuated. We're to teach that. We're to cherish it. We're to cling to it. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. That means. And the Greek word there is meno. And it's the same Greek word. That Jesus used in in John chapter 15. As he speaks about the vine. And the branches. And the fruit. Fifteen times it's used there. In John chapter 15. And almost always. It's translated to mean abide. We're called to abide in the brand, in the vine. This is continuing. Continuing in this state of brotherhood. Continuing in the condition of brotherly love. Brotherly love is calling us, is, is telling us that this is to be perpetuated. The desire for brotherhood accountability. Now, I want to speak for the remaining time tonight about the determinator of brotherly, brotherhood accountability. And perhaps determinator is, is not a very good to, word to use. It's, a, it's an archaic word. But it fits my purpose tonight. And really, it, it, it just suits me very, very well. Even though it's archaic. Even though it's fallen out of favor. The determinator of brotherhood Accountability, And when I use that word determinator, I mean it this way. It is something that propels us to this condition of brotherhood accountability. There's something that determines whether or not we have, whether or not we embrace brotherhood accountability. And so I've used the term determinator. The meaning of that word is that which determines. Now, there very likely exists more than one determinator of brotherhood accountability. But I believe there's a primary one. And I understand how this, method, how this message was birthed. I understand the gestational features of this message. I understand the desire that, that gave rise to this message of brotherhood accountability. And I'm going to use a term that many of you quite likely will have been exposed to. But it's also quite likely that there are several here in this tabernacle tonight that perhaps have never heard or never thought, never pondered on this term. I'm speaking about the determinator of brotherhood accountability, and I'm going to use a word from our Dutch and German forefathers, from the vernacular, from the language in which they spoke, and that word is the word "Gallusenhait." I've told a few people <clears throat> about the fact that that I was going to be speaking on brotherhood accountability, and I was going to address Gallusenhait. In connection with that. And and it was amazing how many blank stares I got. And how many individuals asked me, what does that mean? And I want to say tonight that I can't give you an exact definition of Galasson height. And from testimony that I've heard and read, I don't think any other individual can either. But I want to just give you a peek in at the window. Of what Golasinheit is all about. I'm going to use some synonyms. And they're just partial synonyms. They're not complete synonyms. Of Golasinheit. But as I, as, I, as I speak of these synonyms. I think it will enable you. To, to begin to get a picture. Of what Golasinheit. Is all about. And as I speak about this determinator. Of brotherhood accountability. Being Golasinheit. I hope you grasp. The image. That I, want, that I believe the Spirit of God wants us to get a hold of tonight as we think about brotherhood accountability and the determinator of brotherhood accountability. Humility. Brokenness. Yieldedness. Meekness. Complete and absolute surrender. Those are only partial synonyms. But they give us a a, a little bit of a glimpse of what Galassian is all about. It's a condition where you and I have responded to the call of Jesus to forsake all and follow him. To give everything up, to surrender and yield it all for the sake of following Jesus Christ. For the sake of being brothers together. And to embracing accountability... In this condition of brotherhood as disciples of Jesus Christ... Galasson height. I want to read... Philippians... Chapter 2 verses 1 through 3... If there be therefore... Any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love... If any fellowship of the Spirit... If any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than himself. This passage of Scripture gives us a fuller glimpse of what Galassian Height is really all about. I want to just spend a little bit of time drilling down and focusing in on this passage in Philippians chapter 2. I want to make at least three or four statements about this passage. And the first one that I want to make is that the four times the word if is used in verse 1... in in that passage, in those usages, we should understand that that is not speaking about a conditional circumstance. This is not speaking conditionally. These are not conditional statements, but rather they are descriptive statements. This is what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is what it's like to be a part of His brotherhood. Not conditional. Verse 1. Verse 2. The statement that I want to make here is that the joy of the Apostle Paul was a joy of a, an experience of like-mindedness in the body. A joy that originated from this like-mindedness in the body. He speaks about the same love He speaks about the same spirit, and he speaks about the same mind. This sameness, this like-mindedness, is a very, very uh, broad in scope expression. Like-mindedness. Same heart, same love, same spirit, and the same mind. And the third statement that I'd like to make is that that, uh, this like-mindedness... Is not something that can be forced. You simply cannot do it. Men have tried to do it. And perhaps even superficially. They have accomplished it. But you cannot force. Like mindedness. And if you can't force like mindedness. Of course. You cannot force the experience of joy. But you cannot force like mindedness. Rather, it's got to be the inner yearnings and the deep cry of the heart. It's got to be a result of walking together, of of, of linking arms together, of speaking into each other's lives, of praying together, of fasting together, of experiencing fellowship together in Christ Jesus. The the, uh, condition of being like-minded Perhaps the very best description of like of Galassian height in all of Scripture is found there in that third verse of Philippians chapter 2. I read it again. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other Better than themselves. Galasson The determinator. Of brotherhood accountability. Now. We recognize that. That we are called to live in a state of subjection. This is clear New Testament teaching. Called to live in subjection. Subjection is something that we. We ought to embrace with humility, something we ought to embrace with tenderness, something we ought to embrace with yieldedness. Those are those are partial synonyms of glossary height. There are times as we experience brotherhood that we're going to be called to give up our will. We're going to be called to give up our mind. And I just want to say that that there are times and places that I think perhaps we should not surrender. But largely speaking, especially as we walk with redeemed individuals, largely speaking, we are called to yield to each other. My father-in-law many, many years ago gave me insight to a teaching that I have just cherished through the years. And I'm a rather determined individual. And I can get very stubborn and bullheaded by times. I recognize that tendency in my life. But his counsel was, and he wasn't even speaking about me, but he spoke into my life and I cherished his counsel. His counsel was that as we come together as a brotherhood and we share concerns and we counsel together, the counsel that's given may not be our mind. It may not be what we thought was best, but there's a tremendous blessing in just yielding to that counsel and waiting on God to see how God uses that counsel. I want to go back into the Old Testament scriptures and just use an example as an illustration. The Bible says that the children of Israel left the land of Egypt, the land of bondage. And they set out for Canaan, the land of promise. And God took them by a rather circuitous route. But eventually they came to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And there Moses said that he was going to choose out twelve individuals. One man from each of the twelve tribes. And he did so. And he sent those men into the land of Canaan. This was the land of promise. This was where God had told them he was going to take them. And the Bible tells us that two of those individuals were Joshua and Caleb. But I want to especially address Caleb tonight. Caleb was one of those 12 spies. Moses told them, he said, I want you to go in and look at three things. He said, look at the land. And look at the people and look at their cities. And you come and tell us what you see there. Well, the spies went in. And the Bible says that ten of them brought an evil report. Caleb was not one of them, neither was Joshua. But the ten of them, with their evil report, overruled the counsel of Caleb and Joshua. And they lied when they came back. The Bible says that they said it was an evil land. Well, the Bible says it was a goodly land. The Bible says that their counsel was, or their statement was, their depiction of the people was that we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Wasn't true. True, there were the sons of Anak there. There were giants there. But... But the illustration they used of being grasshoppers was a great distortion of truth. And the Bible says that, that, uh, yes, the walls of their cities were great. But when they gave their report, they said the cities were walled up to heaven. Again, a great distortion of truth. And so the evil report that they brought... Was lie after lie after lie. Caleb recognized this. And Caleb spoke against that council. Almost to the point where he became stoned. And so the evil council ruled the day. And the result of that was. That for 38 years. Caleb wandered in a wilderness filled with all sorts of conditions that were not desirable he thirsted like the others thirsted he hungered like the others hungered he saw the serpents creep into the camp like the others saw them he wandered for 38 years with a band of rebels but he did that He suffered. And those 12 spies had gone to a place called Hebron. And there they had cut down a cluster of grapes by the brook Eshkel. And they brought that cluster of grapes to Moses. And it was so large. It was so abundant. That two of them took a staff. And and carried that thing on their shoulders. Forty-three years later, as Caleb was in the land of promise, he looked at that same mountain. And he said to Moses, give me this mountain. And it was Hebron, the same place from which that tremendous cluster of grapes was taken. But for thirty-eight years, he wandered in the wilderness with that disobedient, gainsaying, Band of rebels. The Caleb principle. He quietly journeyed. We don't find really any depiction of events or counsel that Caleb gave during those 38 years. He did so without murmuring. And because of his faithfulness, he was one of two individuals, just Caleb and Joshua, that entered the land of promise. Caleb's counterpart in the New Testament... Is the Apostle Paul. I'm not going to go there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11 gives us a view in part of the sufferings and trials of the Apostle Paul. Journeyings often. Thrice he was stoned. That's just a partial list of what Paul says. Well, I want to quickly bring this to a conclusion. In my life, I have had a tremendous blessing. As a young married couple, Janie and I lived in western Kansas at a little town called Quinter. We lived in the yard. where we, sh- we, we lived at a place where we shared a yard with an old, old brother, an old elder. And he was a man, a brother that I cherished very much. I saw him every day. He was a mentor to me. He was a father to me. A man in town once told me. If ever there were a saint walking on earth. It surely got to be. And he named this brother. By whom I lived. I learned a lot of things from him. I cherish the privilege. That for four years I had. To just live beside him. And to allow. The, the saintly aspects of his life to just soak into my heart, into my life. That's an example that I want to cherish. There's a second example that I want to refer to. And this is an example that's found in Scripture. The Bible speaks about this in second, Third John, in Third John verse 9. This is a man called Diotrephes. And the Bible says concerning Diotrephes that Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence among them received us not. I want to say tonight that the love for preeminence is something that's extremely detrimental to brotherhood accountability. Diotrephes was a church leader. This elder that I spoke about was a church leader. This is a truth that church leaders need to look soberly at. We need to grasp the dangers and the hazards of a desire for preeminence. I need to look at this. I need to consider this. I need to look at this daily. Beware, Jesus said, when all men speak well of you. The love for preeminence. But I want to say tonight that the love or the desire for preeminence is not something that only church leaders need to look at. This love, this drive, this desire is something that young men and young women can have. And do have so many times. It's it's something that everybody can deal with and probably does. The desire for preeminence. It's a very disastrous occurrence in the body of Christ as we strive for brotherhood accountability, the love for preeminence. And so I just invite us to look carefully into our own hearts, into our own lives, and see whether or not there's an impediment to brotherhood accountability that's emanating forth from me, that being the love of preeminence. Well, where do we find brotherhood accountability? I want to say that in my own life, there's a place that's very, very sweet to me. A place that's very, very dear to me. Yes, I like brotherhood accountability at the clustered church level. And I like brotherhood accountability at the congregational level. But it's a tremendous blessing in my life That at 5.30 on Tuesday mornings, we have a group of brothers in our congregation that come together every week. Sometimes there might be only four of us, or a half a dozen of us. But there's about 10 or 11 that come together and share this opportunity to just speak into each other's lives. We find there in that setting the very precious experience of brotherhood accountability... And just a few days ago, as we came together this past Tuesday morning, this doesn't happen very often, but there was a brother among us who was dealing with challenges, who was wavering in his walk, and we spoke into his life, and he acknowledged that yes, he was wavering, he acknowledged that yes, he needed counsel, he acknowledged that he needed brothers to walk with him, and so he pled for us to help him, and to assist him, and to help him be accountable. And we gathered around Him. And we laid our hands on Him. And we prayed for Him. And He quivered beneath our touch. And God moved. And God touched Him. And I believe that as a result of that experience, He's going to walk on in victory. Yes, He'll have His challenges. But brotherhood accountability was experienced there in vibrancy, in reality. And it was a tremendous blessing as we embraced brotherhood accountability there in that setting. Brotherhood accountability has a doctrine. Indeed it does. There's the desire for brotherhood accountability. But there's also a determinator of brotherhood accountability. And that's just the drive. That's just the desire. The willingness to just yield to each other. And with surrender, with complete giving up and abandonment, embrace the counsel of other brothers and sisters and say, I need you to speak into my life. Oh, the blessing of brotherhood accountability. I want to encourage you that whatever you're setting, wherever you find yourself, to embrace the blessing of brotherhood, to embrace the blessing of giving up and surrendering, the blessing of galassanite, the blessing of embracing each other and yielding to each other's counsel. And if you're not in a setting where you can do that thing, then and you get someplace where you can and experience the blessing of brotherhood, accountability. God help us.